Welcome to Artful Aging with your host, Amy. Are you a senior or a caregiver of a senior looking for support and direction? Best-selling author, educator, and expert in senior living, Amy Friesen, is here with the help you need while providing you with an important and valuable support network. So now, please welcome the host of Artful Aging, Amy Friesen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Amy Friesen, and this is Artful Aging with Amy. Thanks so much for joining me today. We're live from Bold Brave TV. According to National Aphasia Association, 84.5% of people have never heard of the term aphasia. This is what we're going to be speaking with, to, uh, speaking about today. I and my team at TN Toast work with individuals who have aphasia and their families quite regularly, and it doesn't always produce the same in individuals. And additionally, aphasia is not always caused by stroke, which is what a lot of people think. My guest today is joining us from the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Brooke Hatfield is a speech language pathologist with over 20 years of experience working with people uh, who have aphasia in the community um, and other community, uh, sorry, and other communications disorders from stroke to brain injuries in rehabilitation and community settings. Sorry, my, my tongue is twisted today. So in her current role, Brooke supports the work of speech language pathologists in healthcare settings by connecting clinicians to current research and professional trends. Welcome, Brooke. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about aphasia. Well, I'm so happy to have you. Like I said, we work with folks who have aphasia all the time, and I really wanted to help educate our community um, through uh, a conversation with you just about what aphasia is. So maybe we could start off by telling our audience what a speech-language pathologist does. Sure. So speech-language pathologists, or SLPs, or in some settings, they might just be called speech therapists work whenever there's a problem with communication or thinking or feeding and swallowing. So you'll find SLPs across the lifespan, so from feeding babies in a NICU all the way up through working with people with dementia in skilled nursing facilities. So it's a really wide range of um, professional skill sets, but particularly for people with aphasia, speech-language pathologists help enhance communication through activities and exercise to help rebuild skills and also do a lot of family training to help kind of that communication environment improve in addition to the, the person's individual skills. I think that, you know, having to adapt with someone who does have aphasia and it's like a whole family environment, right? It's not just the one person has aphasia, it's everybody and how they all work together. And I'm thinking also on a side note, that's probably why I'm having a speech problem today because we're talking about that and I'm tripping over my words, which is interesting. Um, why, Brooke, tell me, why have you been drawn to work with people who have aphasia? Communication is fundamentally a human right. And if we... I think one way to, to kind of think about it is to put yourself in that position where you're just going through your day as you are now, we're having a conversation and all of a sudden something changes and you can't communicate. You know everything that you know and you have all of the same hopes and goals and relationships, but you can't communicate. That impact is so significant, like you said, on the family, on the community and on the individual. That what I found through working with people with aphasia is they will fight so hard to regain that, those skills and those relationships and those roles in their family. That's really inspiring and it's really um, sort of a medical puzzle too. It's trying to figure out, okay, what does that behavior mean about what's going on in the brain and how can we find some ways to help it? 
I'm sure that it's also quite terrifying for folks, right? If, if all of a sudden they can't communicate. I had an episode in uh, college where I was under so much stress that I lost my eyesight for oh. about a minute, a minute or two minutes. And it scared, you know, scared me straight. And luckily it came back, but I can imagine that panic that people would feel if they can't communicate all of a sudden, because they don't actually know why probably in that moment. And then they can't communicate about not being able to communicate must be very, very stressful. Um, maybe we could talk about the different types of aphasia, uh, because there's a couple of different types that I, I think that uh, you know about and that you can tell us about, um, maybe just to give the audience a little bit more of a rounded view. Sure. So aphasia, as sort of a broad definition, is a change in language because of a change in the brain. So depending on where in the brain someone's injury or illness has occurred, it can present kind of different types of aphasia. So if we think of them in two broad categories, one is non-fluent aphasia, meaning that the words don't come easily, and the other is more fluent, where the words come easily, but they don't have as much meaning. So one of those is called Broca's aphasia. Some people will call it expressive aphasia. Um, and really what that sounds like is like old-fashioned telegrams. So the most important words might come out, but the structure of the sentence isn't there. It's just a few words. Um, but those words usually have a lot of impact and meaning. And those folks tend to have a better ability to understand what they're hearing or what they're reading, and they have a harder time getting it out, so a harder time talking or writing. And then the other side of the, the spectrum are the more fluent aphasias, fluent meaning that, that sounds come easily. Um, there's a, a part of the brain that's sort of responsible for choosing meaning of words, and that's a little bit more in the back of the brain. Uh, when, when that is impaired, it's sometimes called Wernicke's aphasia with a W, Wernicke's. Um, and what that sounds like is it, you feel like it, you, like it should make sense because it's a lot of words, but the words may not be the right words for that context, or they may not be words at all. They may be sort of new combinations of sounds that sound like words, but they don't have a lot of meaning. And those folks tend to have a harder time understanding what you're saying to them. There's a couple of other kinds. Mm -hmm. you I was just going to say, interesting. Yeah, please tell us about the other ones. Sure, yeah. Those are sort of the, the two broad categories, but then there's a couple of others. One called anomic aphasia. Anomia is the, the word for when there's a word-finding problem, that tip-of-the-tongue feeling that we all have from time to time. And some more mild aphasias kind of turn into this anomic aphasia, where the words come easily, except when they don't. So it'll sound like a, an easy conversation until someone will kind of get stuck, or they might need to sort of talk around their idea. And then a, a fourth kind is called primary progressive aphasia. And it's kind of its own little beast. It's a problem that doesn't tend to happen all at once, like the other aphasias. It's something that sort of progresses over time. And it's really related to, to sort of slower changes in the brain. But again, depending on what part of the brain is happening, is involved with it, it can sound like the other types of aphasias. It's just got a different course to it. Is there one that is more prevalent? Like, is there one that tends to be the front runner of like the main type of aphasia people have? That's a great question. I think the one that's most easily recognizable, like if you see someone on TV or, or there's some sort of media representation of aphasia, it's often the non-fluent kind where it's someone who clearly is, is working to talk. Um, I don't know what the statistics are of, of 
what kind is more um, sort of prevalent than another. Um, but I think those two types of the fluent and the non-fluent are the ones that, that people tend to encounter the most often. And just before we go to break, are, are any of them specifically um, attached to stroke or could any of those happen with a stroke? Um, any of those can happen depending on what type of injury happens to the brain. So it's more about where in the brain a problem happens, not how the problem happened. Interesting. Okay, perfect. So let's let's take a minute for a break. We're going to continue this conversation when we come back, but we're going to we're going to talk about misconceptions after the break because there's a lot of them out there, I can tell you. So uh, take a minute, grab a coffee. We'll see you in a few minutes. What if there were a super tiny device that could diagnose the brain and is smaller than a single human hair? What if you could see inside the brain to help an epilepsy patient during surgery or to help the fight against Parkinson's disease? Dr. Patricia Broderick is proud to announce the Broderick Probe, a biomedical and electronic breakthrough. Imagine a probe to help with the understanding and potential cure of brain-related diseases. To learn more, listen live to the Easy Sense Radio Show with host Dr. Broderick, Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Bold Brave Media Network and TuneIn Radio. And to help support the Broderick Foundation, please go to Easy easysense.com and learn how with your help we can fight these horrific brain disorders that's easysense.com to learn more and help support the broderick foundation author radio show host and coach john m hawkins reveals strategies to help gain perspective build confidence find clarity achieve goals John M. Hawkins' new book, Coached to Greatness, Unlock Your Full Potential with Limitless Growth, published by iUniverse. Hawkins reveals strategies to help readers accomplish more. He believes the book can coach them to greatness. Hawkins says that the best athletes get to the top of their sport with the help of coaches, mentors, and others. He shares guidance that helps readers reflect on what motivates them rediscover and assess their core values, philosophies, and competencies, find settings that allow them to be the most productive, and track their progress towards accomplishing goals. Listen to John Hawkins' My Strategy, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. Welcome back to Artful Aging with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Friesen. On today's show, my guest, Brooke, is helping us to understand more about aphasia. And Brooke and I were just talking about it over the break, about me being tongue-tied. And apparently it's a thing that, you know, it's the same as if I was uh, comparing it to when I'm typing on my keyboard. And then I think about the letters that I'm typing, and then I can't find the letters as I'm typing without. So um, just trying to communicate with you folks today, apparently it's a thing. So uh, that's what Brooke and I were talking about over the break, which is very interesting. So, Brooke, there are many misconceptions that people have around aphasia. So let's debunk a couple for our audience today. The first one uh, that I've heard about is that many people relate aphasia to the effects on intelligence. So somebody has aphasia, therefore their intelligence is affected. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Uh, The easiest thing to say about it is that's not true. It's it's just simply not. Um, One way to think of it, this is a very imperfect metaphor, but I'm going to try it anyway. That picture yourself, you right now as you are, dropped into a country where you don't speak the language. Your 
you still know everything you know. You can still problem solve. You can still plan. Your memory is still strong. But the words and the, the way that you would communicate what you're thinking and what you're feeling and how you want to get something done would be different if you didn't speak the same language. And that's, again, a, a bad analogy, but a good example of the fact that language is its own system. And we use our language to drive our thinking and our um, how we get things done throughout the day. But it's when there's a change in the language, it doesn't mean there's a change in all of the rest of the personality. It's interesting, yeah, because, you know, we we would assume because we can see something on the outside that something on the inside would be equally affected, right? That's, you know, my, my not, my, <laughs> I can't speak again, right? This is crazy. Oh, that's my analogy, that's not so great, but it is a good um, way to explain it, right, is to be able to go into another country because a lot of us have that experience and not being able to speak the language. So that that's a good way to explain it for sure. How about, um, so many people think that aphasia is rare and it only happens because of a stroke. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Is that accurate? It's, it's associated with the stroke. So let's start with that piece of it. So it's, stroke is the most common cause of aphasia, the most common source of aphasia, because if we think about what strokes are, strokes are changes in blood flow in the brain, and the brain is where our language lives. Um, but any injury that happens to the brain can also cause a stroke. So there are people who have had, a, sorry, can cause aphasia. There are people who've had aphasia from, um, like the Congresswoman Gabby Giffords is a great example. She has aphasia and that was from a gunshot wound. Um, there are people who've had brain tumors who have aphasia or who have a traumatic injury to the brain that have aphasia. And then this primary progressive aphasia tends to come from those degenerative or slowly changing processes in the brain that sort of follow the same path as something like dementia. Your other point was about whether aphasia is rare. We wish it was, but it's not. There are about 180,000 people a year in the U.S. who acquire aphasia. So that makes about 2 million people walking around with it. Um, it's a pretty high number. There are more people with aphasia than, more, than people with Parkinson's. Um, but we just aren't as familiar with what aphasia is. And we're always looking for good ways to continue to get the word out like this conversation so that people at least have heard it. And if you encounter someone with aphasia, you feel a little more equipped about what to do or how to respond to that person and support them. That's why just folks, right? Because it's also, again, it's not super visual unless you're speaking with someone. It's not a visual something that's happening. So it's, you know, less people speak about it. And when I said that stat at the top of the show, I was really surprised, too, that, you know, a lot of people don't even know the word. Right. And I I mean, I have been working in my field almost 20 years, so I'm very familiar with the word. But I wonder, you know, if I wasn't in this field and I was in something else, would I have known what aphasia is? Right. Unless that had happened personally in my family, um, which I thought was really interesting. What about is is aphasia something that does improve or is it one of those things that once it happens, you know, it completely goes downhill and disintegrates afterwards? Yeah, it, aphasia is definitely something that improves over time. Uh, we need to take primary progressive aphasia sort of out of this conversation because it, it has a different path based on the biology of it. But for the other types of aphasia that are from an acquired injury, um, yeah, they get better over time, which is 
you know, terrific because the brain is really going to fight every single day to rewire itself. And every time someone tries to communicate, even if they're not successful, they have triggered essentially some changes in the brain that will build over time and lead to some recovery. There was a long time where doctors would tell people, you got a year. If you're not better in a year, you're not getting better. Um, and we know now that through just anecdotal experience that that just simply is not true. There, I've been lucky enough to know people that have had their strokes 30 some years ago and are still working at their aphasia and it's still paying off. They're still seeing changes over time. So there's always a reason to hope and there's always a reason to keep working. That's that's pretty wild too. And it's, it's hope, like you said, hopeful that things can improve. Uh, but just like anything, um, you have to actually physically work towards making things um, improved. Uh, we were talking with a professional about Parkinson's uh, last week, and it's the same thing, right? You know, you get a diagnosis. It's not exactly the same thing, but, you know, similar that you get a diagnosis or you have aphasia or you have Parkinson's. And at that point, then what do you do? Which which way do you go? Do you go to try to improve your life and keep moving and improving it? Or do you kind of accept defeat almost, right? And it's like, okay, well, I have this. Uh, and that's, that is what it is, right? Like for the people that come, do people come to see you directly, Brooke, or they come to see, um, speech pathologists, but, um, is it something that they do at the, you know, when they're first diagnosed or is it something that, uh, they do, you know, kind of once they figured out the route, if that makes sense. Yeah. Usually when someone has had a stroke or something that happens right away that resulted in their injury, during their hospitalization, they'll probably see a speech language pathologist either in that acute care setting, if they go on to an inpatient rehab setting um, or, or some post-acute setting, there'll probably be a speech language pathologist involved. If there's not, ask for one because SLPs can help. Um, and then there's outpatient. You can continue to work with an SLP. It's covered by Medicare. It's covered by Medicaid. It's covered through private insurances. Um, so there's, again, reason to kind of stay connected. But like you said, that idea of, of keep working, um, therapy helps, but so does life. Being engaged in life, and I know we'll talk about that a little later on, um, but really getting into making sure that you're using, use it or you lose it. you got to communicate with people. And though it's really hard and it takes a lot of effort and it's really tiring, um, making that effort is what makes the gains over time. For sure. And I mean as a starter, you know, if, if you just, just started having aphasia, right, there's, you know, you want to keep going with it, you know, but there's also other ways to communicate with people, right? There's writing and texting and all sorts of different things. So there's ways to aid in the verbalization, I guess, is what I'm saying. So that it doesn't have to always be a struggle when you're communicating with someone. It can be, you know, helped by writing it out or whatnot. A lot of us text and email and things like that. And so, you know, maybe just writing some of the things at first and then and trying to communicate that or practice. What would you say about that? Like yeah. practicing kind of what you're writing out. Absolutely. And, and you know, unfortunately, aphasia does tend to affect the other communication modalities. So talking and writing and reading and um, and understanding kind of go together. Um, but often there, there's a strength in one area that can really be capitalized on. 
Interesting. Yeah. And I didn't even realize that. So that's great. So uh, let's, let's take a break and maybe we could talk about that a little bit more when we come back. Um, We're going to take a break now. So this is Artful Aging with Amy and we're joined by Brooke today and we're on Bold Brave TV. So we'll see you in a few. Welcome back. Brooke and I have been discussing aphasia as well as some of the misconceptions. We're going to move our conversation into being proactive and how to be proactive, but I want to go back and touch on something we talked about over the break and just before the break, and it's about how aphasia is not only speech. It affects other um, things like other communication tools and writing and things uh, in your brain as well. Brooke, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because as I was saying, I was even really kind of unfamiliar with that as well. Sure. Yeah, it, it really is a common misconception that aphasia is just a problem of speech. Um, the language centers of the brain really house meaning. So one way to think of it is words are labels for meanings, for ideas, and it's the labels that are impaired, how we get to those labels that match up the meaning. So there are people with aphasia that have trouble reading because they can see the word, but the meaning of that word the, the sort of link from the, the physical word to the idea that that word represents is broken because of the change in their brain. So aphasia can affect talking and listening and reading and writing. But like I said, usually there's one area that's a relative strength, and that's what you kind of jump on and try to build some strategies around. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess part of what the, what people would start working on right away with the speech language would uh, pathologists would be, okay, what's the strength, right? And let's, yes, let's exactly. kind of, let's go from there and build, right? Just like any building blocks. Okay, great. So while we're on the topic, is there anything that helps to approve, improve aphasia? Yeah, there's one of the first questions people often have is, is there a medicine? Is there something I can take? And there are some some trials of medicines that have been ongoing, things that change blood flow in the brain or sort of stimulate different parts of the brain. But there's nothing yet that's out on the market um, that's specifically for aphasia. Same with other types of medical treatments. There's lots of research going on. There are so many people trying to crack this code. Um, But the thing that tends to help the most or the, the best tools we have right now are therapy and being engaged in your in your community. So using the skills that you've got. Um, And what therapy often looks like is exercises and activities that help address kind of getting used to this new version of your brain and trying to kind of fight your way through some of these pathways that have been interrupted a bit. But also, like we were talking about, taking that strength and saying, how do you take that strength and get all of the things done that you need to do? So you need to write a grocery list. You need to be able to pay your taxes. You need to um, tell your grandson that you love them. You need to say the family prayer at dinner. Um, any of those things can be sort of taken and broken down into parts, and then you try to add supports around each step of those activities. Interesting. Can someone who has aphasia be independent in the community? Can they live alone still? Is there a reason why they wouldn't live alone? That's a great question. There are people who have pretty significant forms of aphasia who live alone, who drive, who, you know, who make their own appointments over the telephone. There's a lot of of ways to kind of get it done. So the basic answer is yes, but there's always a but. Um, It does take some support because there will be things that, you know, I I think we all know that we live in a, a world that maybe we're not all the most patient communicators. And one of the best tools for people with aphasia is time to have time to respond and for all of us communicating with them to just slow down a little bit 
Um, and the world is not always aphasia friendly. So that's also part of what speech language pathologists do and aphasia advocates do is to try to help the world kind of be a little bit of a more supportive environment. But yes, there, there are lots of folks who have aphasia who are independent in the community. I often work with individuals who have aphasia and they're starting, it, you know, they may not have, you know, been proactive enough and things may be worsening or changing or whatnot. And they're considering, you know, when to make a move to a retirement home, for instance. Yeah. You know, when's the best time? We're trying to sort it out with them. And often some of the advice I give for, you know, anybody who is changing health care that, you know, for aphasia would be the communication tool, right? For someone who is losing their eyesight, right? That, you know, um, I often say, you know, the sooner rather than later that you can make a move into a community, the better, because then not only do you adapt, uh, especially if it's eyesight, right? Like trying to, to know your environment, but um, not only can you adapt, but also the staff get to know you, the staff can learn how to communicate with you. We've worked with people who um, can use whiteboards or can use flashcards and things like that. And then the residents also get to know you um, and you become, you know, you can make friends that way as well. And so my thought process and tell me your thought process, but I kind of the earlier that they can get into a community and surround themselves with engaging activities and people and whatnot before their health changes again, I feel like is a good step. How do you feel? I think that's, I would absolutely co-sign that. I think that's um, absolutely what I would suggest to a client in a similar decision-making process that one of the, the problems that tends to come alongside aphasia is depression and part of it's chemical and the reaction of the brain, but there's also such an isolation that comes from not being an effective communicator in the same way that you used to be. Um, and social circles tend to narrow a little bit and relationships can get a little bit either strange or they're just more challenging. So Getting those, those relationships and connections in place, I think, is such an important part of continuing to be able to engage those relationships and to, to really stay connected um, in, in a meaningful way. So getting to know people with strong language so that they can get to know you and your language system um, is a really important process. Yeah, and, and with the depression and the isolation, all of us have lived through COVID at this point. So there's a lot of extra isolation. There's a lot of extra depression and really just trying to cap that so you don't go deeper into the hole. But sometimes it's difficult to get out. And that's that's why we do Artful Aging, right, is to, yeah. to inform people that there's choices and you can do stuff and that you're not alone. So I think, you know. I think that's super helpful and interesting to know. So why don't we take another pause here? We'll return after the break, and Brooke and I will continue our conversation. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy. We're on Bold Brave TV. We'll see you in a few minutes. Welcome back. Brooke and I have been discussing aphasia. Let's move our conversation to what to do and what to look for if you see a change. Now, as I said before, I've been in the retirement home field for almost 20 years. And when I was working in a retirement home at the first of my career, one of my favorite seniors, one of my favorite people, and I also call my seniors my peeps, actually. So one of my favorite peeps had a stroke right in front of me. And I was much younger at that point. And I, you know, what do you do, right? Um, and so we were taught the acronym FAST, which is face, arm, speech, and time. Um, and that helped me um, to see what was happening. 
you know, unfortunately getting him to do anything about it is a whole other ball game. Right. So, um, I kind of feel like, you know, if someone's saying, Hey, you might be having a stroke or whatnot, uh, maybe, you know, for a piece of information, maybe take them serious and have a look at it. Cause you know, he, he actually didn't want to go to the doctor or anything, which was really tough on everybody kind of watching what was happening. So, um, Brooke, maybe you could explain why the acronym FACE is important to look for if you suspect that someone has had a stroke. Sure. The The primary reason that getting on it quickly is important is there's sort of a, a phrase in the, the medical community of people who ter- take care of, of folks with stroke is that saving, what is it, saving time is saving brain. So the faster somebody gets services and emergency medical services, the more options they have to try to um, either if it's a clot, they can kind of help break up the clot, but only within a certain window of time. And it just means that they're kind of treating you before a lot of your brain has had a chance to that that those brain cells have had a chance to die, frankly. Um, So the reason that that acronym is important. So, you know, again, strokes are kind of like heart attacks that happen in the brain. They're change of the blood flow in the brain. And so as blood is traveling through different parts of the brain, um, different physical things are associated with those parts of the brain. So the F in FAST is face. One of the first signs for some types of stroke is that sort of drooping on one side. So there are even Stephen, and then all of a sudden part of the face tends to to either slump a little bit or a lip won't move in quite the same way. And then arm, um, a quick way to check it is to try to put your arms out in front of you and see if one arm will go higher than the other. If you try to keep them even, one just won't kind of make the climb. Um, Same thing, that's just a a sign that there might be some blockage in the parts of the brain that control arm movements. And that's really in kind of a neighbor to where speech and language lives for a lot of folks. And then let's see, S is speech. So that slurred speech is usually what people are are looking for. Um, But really it's that, you know, as we were talking about, we all have tongue tie moments. This is is more that sudden, you're talking one way, then all of a sudden that speech becomes really laborious or slurred or the mouth just does not want to make the sounds. And then T again is time, time to call 911. And again, the importance of calling 911 rather than calling your cousin or calling, you know, going, taking a nap and seeing if you feel better when you wake up. Um, It's important to call emergency services because emergency responders are prepared to fast track strokes. So they can get you to the right places, the right trauma centers and tell them that you're coming so that they're ready. The, The center is ready to get your brain looked at and get you the fastest help possible. The other thing is if you go to bed, uh, if you just say, well, I'll I'll see how I feel tomorrow, um, that cloudy is the window of when that stroke actually happened. So there's a lot of research going on now about people who wake up with their strokes. They went to bed fine and they wake up and they've had a stroke um, to try to figure out how long is a treatment window when you don't really know when it happened. Because, again, the more treatment options, potentially the better the outcomes are. I have to tell you, it was it was a pretty wild thing. So again, I was much younger with less less experience than I have now, but it was pretty wild to to see one of my favorite peeps doing that, going through this. And so I think, I mean, tell me how you think, but I feel that educating our audience on, you know, if someone is saying that they can see something, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a stroke. Sometimes it's some other kind of action that somebody outside of you sees. 
I would feel that, you know, take it with, you know, take it seriously and look into it because sometimes people don't actually understand or know what's actually happening to themselves or they can't see themselves, right? Like his, his face was what affected and then his speech. Uh, those are the two things I noticed right away, but he didn't really recognize that in himself. And so would you agree that, you know, as, as, and as our audience is, is watching this, maybe, you know, if someone is talking to you about something changing in your demeanor to take that serious. Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly, you know, communication, we all have ups and down days where it's easier to talk or it's easier to think of words. And as we age, it starts really, I think, in our 30s that that ability to think of the exact word, you know, it's always that actor, that guy that was in that thing that we liked rather than, you know, Brad Pitt, uh, that starts to change over time. But it really is that when it becomes a problem, um, when it when it really impacts what you're trying to do or when it's sudden, that sudden change is really the thing that people can respond to. Um, and I, I can't say enough of how important it is to get help if you think that that's what's happened. It would be so much better to show up and be sent home because you're fine than to right. choose not to seek services and then have a whole sets of potential interventions not available to you. For sure. Yeah. And it's, and it, I mean, this is also why we're educating people on stroke and aphasia and stuff, because I always wondered before that happened, you know, would I know, would I know a stroke if I saw it and then it happened and it's like, you definitely know it, but you have to be a little bit educated in what to look for. Right. Um, Cause once you're aware of what you're looking for, then it, when it happens, you know, like, it's just, it's just one of those things. Wouldn't you agree that it's just kind of right in front of you? Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the other thing, I think is a misconception is that strokes only happen to old people. They don't. They happen. The age, typical age of stroke is getting younger. Um, and there's a, a type of stroke from an aneurysm. So stroke is sort of an umbrella term for changes in blood flow in the brain. But if someone has an aneurysm where a, a part of the brain sort of ex, sort of pops, basically, there's a you, you pop a, a hole in your balloon and blood flows into space where it's not supposed to be. Um, that can happen very suddenly. It can be very, very dangerous and it can be anyone of any age. So there's really no reason not to get treatment, seek treatment if you think that something is suddenly different. Be proactive is what I hear you and I saying, and I, I, our audience is used to me saying that, right? Plan and proactive. But yeah, for sure, we want to make sure that people hear that message. So we're going to take another break. Uh, we're going to be back and we're going to discuss prevention, as you can probably expect, here on Artful Aging with Amy. See you in a few. Welcome back to Artful Aging with Amy. Let's move our conversation to one of my favorite things is planning and prevention. Again, you all know this about me and pretty much every guest I have on here is all about planning and prevention. So, Brooke, can you tell us why managing your environment is very important? Sure. So there's a couple ways I think we can approach this from a prevention standpoint. One is trying to prevent or to manage your environment to create the healthiest version of yourself that you can to reduce your risk of a cardiovascular event like a stroke. Um, the other side is if you have aphasia, how you can create an environment that really supports you. Um, from a cardiovascular standpoint, the same things that make us healthy in all the other areas apply here. So activity, um, regular medical checkups, watching things like blood pressure, sodium levels, those kinds of things are associated. Diabetes management is huge. Um, knowing your family history is another big factor. Um, and then from a 
supported communication environment, and like we were talking about earlier, because aphasia is a language problem, not just a speech problem, creating a space for yourself where all of the tools that you might need are around you. So you, I think you mentioned earlier whiteboards or you know notebooks, those kinds of things, um, being everywhere that you are in your environment. Um, individuals with aphasia will also sometimes carry something with them, a little explainer card that says, this is my name, I have aphasia, I'm not drunk, I'm not stupid. Um, mm. This is how you can communicate with me, which is really helpful if you get jammed up or if you get pulled over in your car and you get particularly nervous um, or you're kind of venturing independently um, in a space that maybe you haven't before. Because um, as soon as someone knows what to do and how to communicate with you, the whole sort of tension of a situation can reduce a little bit. Um, but having an environment that is um, interactive is another important thing. So read and listen and engage and you know connect to people. Uh, we were talking earlier about what helps aphasia, and I neglected to mention working with other people with aphasia is a wonderful way to. Uh, to really work on it because it's you sort of learn more from each other than you do from any professional. Um, and it's just like any other group of like characteristics. It's that sense that you're not alone in this and that um, that there are other people who are walking the walk with you. We had that same conversation again last week with Parkinson's, the like the like minded, right? Everybody that's dealing with Parkinson's having a support group with that. So uh, and I also really enjoy that uh, tip about um, having like a card in your wallet or whatnot to tell people, because often I would suspect that if you're having a slurred speech problem, people may think you're drunk, right? People may think that you went on a bender or something, and that would be even frustrating on its own, because then you're not being taken seriously on top of having aphasia, right? So um, that'd be really tricky, uh, super frustrating. And how into that what to do right so that on the back yeah. of that card it can say ask me yes or no questions call my whoever your your communication partner is you know there's there's sort of action steps that can be tied to that fair enough great how should someone communicate with another person who has aphasia so if i'm speaking with a client who has aphasia how what's the best way for me to communicate Slowing down is something that we can all do anyway, but particularly with someone with aphasia. And that doesn't mean um, taking things to an age inappropriate level. So you still want to talk with that person like they're the adult that they, that they are, but you might choose to make your sentences a little bit shorter. You might slow down a little bit. You don't have to talk louder. That's something that people kind of naturally want to do, but you don't need to do that. Um, and the other thing that really helps is confirming. So if you think that you've come to a conclusion together or that that person has expressed themselves effectively to say, this is what I think I heard you said. I heard you say this. Is that correct? And giving them a chance to confirm that, yes, you've got my message or no, we need to keep trying. Putting something on paper is so helpful, a keyword. So if you're figuring out that you're talking about insurance, if you write that word insurance, in are kind of pointing to it and they're pointing to it, you know that you've established that topic and then anything else that you've identified as that really important point, you can write that down too. So then you've got these sort of keywords that are in front of you. Drawing helps. Um, gosh, sometimes people will use co computer-based systems that help support their communication or um, communication boards or books. So like, 
a communication book might have a list of everyone's family members in it. So if you want to talk about your niece, you can pull that name out quickly because you know it here, but you can't quite get it out. Um, so just using lots and lots of supports to get the topic established and then confirm that you've understood. It's also okay to say if you didn't get it. That's a, something that happens sometimes if somebody's trying really hard and you don't get it and everybody's getting frustrated. It's okay to say, I don't think I'm getting it right now. Let's take a break for a second and come back to it. I, um, I find it interesting as I speak to each guest and, and you included that a lot of what we speak about is happening throughout our life our whole journey and it's not always just like seniors is not just always what you know one one spot right and so when you're talking about aphasia in anybody right and how to communicate I'm also thinking about how I communicate with my daughter who's four and again my audience knows that I have a daughter and there's a lot of things that cross paths with what I do for work and life and and my daughter and one of the things is is that she's trying to communicate, but she's just learning to communicate. And so I do that with her too. Did you say this? Yes, mommy, I said that or no. And she gets frustrated because there's certain things that she hasn't gotten quite yet. And so I say, you know, did you say this? And she'll say no. And it'll be a couple of rounds of that. And then she'll come up to me and talk to me in my ear as if I can't hear her. Not that I don't understand her, right? And it's like trying to communicate. And I just find it so interesting that across our lifespan, we're all dealing with different stuff at different ages and different times, right? Um, I just found that really interesting. What about um, perfectionists like me? So do you have any tips for other perfectionists where they can, like they're the one with aphasia uh, or they're communicating with that person? Because, you know, we're trying to always you know, perfectionists, again, like myself, are trying to have a perfect conversation or trying to get that message communicated. Do you have any thoughts for us? Boy, that tends to be one of the biggest sticking points with people, particularly who really pride themselves on the types of words that they use. Um, I have a, a client that I've worked with for a long time who has a background as an attorney, and his training is that the right word matters, right? It, this word isn't as good as this word. There's a reason that I want that exact word. And letting go of that is some of the best advice of communication of the message is the goal, not whether you used the exact word that you wanted. Um, so together kind of coming to that, the family accepting all of that communication effort. And if the goal got, if the message got across, you did it. It didn't have to be perfect. Well, with that, Brooke, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. This has been very eye-opening for me and I hope for my audience. Thanks again for joining us. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me on. If people want to know more, they can check out our website, asha, A-S-H-A dot org. Perfect. And I'll have that link for you on artfulagingwithamy.com as well. After the break, we'll sum up today's top tips. You're watching Artful Aging with Amy. I'll see you in a few. Welcome back. This is Artful Aging with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Friesen. We're on Bold Brave TV today. I hope that you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. I definitely got a lot more information out of it that I didn't even realize I didn't know. So I'm grateful for Brooke to join us today. So let's go over some top tips for those of you who love Cole's notes. Uh, my top tip today would be, would be to be patient, uh, both as a person with aphasia and for the person communicating with them. It's really important just to take your time um, and, and realize that the person with aphasia is doing their best to get the communication across 
and the person who is listening and, and having a communication with the person with aphasia is doing their best as well to understand what you're saying. So on both ends, just be more patient. I think that in general in the world, we can all be more patient. Tip two would be to be proactive. That's with your health. Keep your body and brain active. Um, make sure that you're putting things in place so that uh, not only are you being proactive with your health, but if something happens and you do end up having aphasia, um, you're seeking out ways to improve that or to keep it steady so that you can learn how to communicate otherwise. Tip three would be to be aware of your surroundings. You never know when you're going to come across someone who's having a health crisis. So, you know, pay attention if you're out somewhere or you're with friends or just like me when I was working at the retirement residence, just keep an eye on your surroundings and, and, and make sure that if you see something, say something. So you want to make sure that, you know, if, if you think someone is having a stroke, you should speak up and, and not just let that happen because that person may not even realize what's happening. You may or may not be right. You never know. Uh, but I'm sure that person would be more grateful that you said something than you didn't. On next week's show, we're going to be talking with a filmmaker um, and how is she shaping some educational programs for seniors. That should be a really great show. And also about the documentary she did about her grandfather. Um, if you are looking for any extra uh, downloads or printables, you could always go over to artfulagingwithamy.com. You'll find links there. You'll also find links to our guests and our upcoming shows and their bios. Um, any other information you need could be on TNTOS as well. Again, today was interesting because I'm even having trouble communicating and Brooke and I were talking about it on the break, how it does happen when you're trying to pay attention to something very specifically. So I just, you know, you learn something new every day. So I'm hoping that you did as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on Our Full Aging with Amy. We're on Bold Brave TV and from me to you, I hope you have a wonderful Wednesday. You've been listening to Artful Aging with host Amy. Many folks just like you feel they're alone in their journey in helping a loved one or caregiver. So tune in each week and let Amy show you that help is around the corner and is just one conversation away here on Artful Aging.